Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit simplecast.com. Full Service Radio. Hi everyone, thank you for tuning in. I'm Sama and I'm a Durka from Yemen and a Durka from Algeria, that's Lilia. Aloha. We live here in the District of Columbia and we get together every week to decipher the Middle Eastern experience in the capital of the United States. Our topics include feminism, sexism, terrorism, absolutism, atheism, monotheism, socialism, etc. And all the prisms and schisms in between. So thank you guys for tuning in. We are recording live from the Line Hotel. This is Full Service Radio. And our episode today is actually a product of our previous episodes in the sense that we've talked about stereotypes. We've talked about identity. And today we touch on a very important subject, and that is Durka on Durka crime. Durka, Durka, Muhammad Jihad. Yeah, so basically today is we're giving ourselves license to um, talk smack about each other and in the name of understanding. In the, the name pr- of joking. Under the guise of, you know, decorticating the prejudice we might hold against each other. Teasing. Teasing, yes. Yeah. So within the context of DC, of course. So we're going to be discussing Durka and Durka crime. In the it, district of yes, Washington. Yes, like how yeah, we, district of Columbia. we may have been limited by our own. Okay. So, um, let's take it. Let's, let's do it. Let's do it. Well, uh, how about... Let us? me prepare the band-aids. <laughs> Not at all. Well, first of all, before preparing for the subject, I just asked randomly, you know, what are the stereotypes that people have on Durkas? I've asked other Durkas and... Um, What's funny is that the first thing that comes is uh, they separate the Gulf region from any other region. And okay. basically they're like, you, you have some poor people and you have some really rich people. And um, you're basically like all the, your poor Durkas are Portugal and you have Germany slept in the middle, which I really took the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Like this was a bit... Because I started thinking about us, like our respective countries. You're from Yemen. Yeah, that's not Puerto. That's even worse. That's like Greece right now. No, we, <laughs> we're kind of, no, we are like the exceptions in our respective region. Like mm-hmm. North Africa is seen as like, oh, struggling, poor, whatever. But Algeria has a lot of oil, natural gas. And you're technically within the Gulf, but you yeah. ain't rolling like the Qataris. No, definitely not. So, well, I, you know, in terms of stereotypes, I think there are layers to it. So first, there are the people who think all brown people are the same. Yeah. Right. Like I was just in a cab last week where somebody thought I was Indian because I had a nose ring and because it started by saying, oh, you should have some steak. This is the cab driver. And I said, oh, I don't eat meat. So he goes like, oh, you know, and just a f- complete assumption that I was Indian and I didn't have the the strength and the courage to tell him that I wasn't. I just kind of like rolled with it. I was like, OK, I'm going to be Indian today. Like, I, I don't know. And then um You know, I think you have that, you know, people who think that they can tell where you're from based on how you look, while I think a lot of us are kind of ethnically ambiguous. And then 
you have people who understand the Middle East a little bit and they divide us, kind of how you stated. Rich you and know, poor. Rich and poor. <laughs> and then you have people who study and have curiosity about the Middle East, especially after 9-11. You have a lot of people studying Middle Eastern politics and you have a lot of people studying religion and studying counterterrorism. And then they start to understand us within the context of Egypt, I think, or a place where they can go and study Arabic. And then they kind of try to understand the entire area based on their, you know, the, the one place they had access to, which makes sense. You know, you understand everything from within your own context. But ultimately, I think a lot of places remain a mystery and are unknown, even to Durkas themselves. I know. So let's zoom back and zoom back in. Us meeting. Yeah. Two Durkas. What did you think? Did you have any... I know we've had, like, we've, I wanted to tell you what I thought of you when I first met you, but you were like, no, 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 wait, let's just do it live on the radio because we've never had this conversation. Correct. What did we think of each other when we first met? I honestly thought, what a really curious person because Score. your eyes were kind of like, I, I, I felt like you were dissecting me and taking me in. And I was like, wow, really curious person. Is that something that Durka do? Do we like? Yeah, I Do think we act like there's blood in the pool and we're sharks? We're like, what is so going on? So there are some on? Durkas who look at me like they know me. And that really bothers oh, me because yeah. I'd be walking and they'd look at you like they know you. Like, like they're they about to you, speak to you. <laughs> and I, I just feel like, don't stare so hard. We've never met before. You know, I know that we both recognize that we come from the same culture. But it doesn't mean that you know me. Like, yep. I get it. You recognize one of your own. But we don't have to take it that far. Uh, with you, it was different. It was just you more taking me in. Like there was a dissecting analytical lens to it. Well, you were with a guy I used to date. So I was like, well, clearly he has a fetish. Well, I was with a guy that you used to date, but he was just my friend and I was walking with him. Yeah, I couldn't have known that. Yeah, so, uh, but it was interesting because I, I think I met you with your current boyfriend, which, um, you know, the fact that he wasn't Durka also. Kind I of thought was, he was a Durka. Your boyfriend? Yeah. Okay, I don't see how. But I thought okay. he was North African. Okay, I can see that. And talking about prejudice, I thought he was Moroccan. I was like, oh no. <laughs> but you still liked him anyway. Yes, well. So I was like, oh no, oh okay. Well, what did you think? Because you continue to tell me that you had a specific image and a specific idea of me that you don't want to share until it, we talk on the radio. No, it's more, okay, I don't know if you relate to this, but I feel that sometimes when you meet other Durkas there's like this sentiment of suspicion. Yes. I don't know if it's suspicion or distrust. I had it in the past, but I've, sh so, I've shed that layer. And I'll explain to you about that. And it depends. But me. then I don't know if that's just like a woman on woman thing as well. If that's an intersection of, you know, if it's not, if it's not just being a Durka, it's like being a Durka and being a woman and us being like, well, well, let's get to the juice. What do you think? Ah, uh, rum, pum, pum. I think it's both. It's both. It's like the, the minority squared, even though we're not a minority on both counts. So you knew I was Durka? Sort of. Not really. Okay. But I think it was introduced in the sense that, I don't know. Were you, were you introduced to me as being from Yemen? I don't remember. I don't know. All I thought I was, was like, oh, in Adams Morgan. It was actually in this neighborhood where we're broadcasting now where we first met. Yeah, but that doesn't count. I don't know where we met again, but you started, like, the, uh, you picked my interest with your writing. That's when it ceased to be That about, was in Columbia Heights. Yes. So that's when we, we pierced through the shell of suspicion, like, what, what am I dealing with? What kind of set of ideas? 
am I dealing with? Okay, we're talking writing. We're talking so you actually met me at a great time. So I think Correct. naturally Durkas are very suspicious of each other because we live in a culture where it's really difficult to be yourself and people like to gossip about yes. you breaking the norm. And in D.C., you have the freedom to be yourself, but then the minute you meet another Durka, you want to look the image that is expected of you. Mm-hmm. And you met me at a time where I decided to throw all of that to the wind and be myself at all times and not care about anything. And I was actually with a group of friends who we talked about these things often. And I don't think that Durkas are the only ones who stereotype each other. Everybody does it. You know, we're humans. We stereotype what we see. But I was going through a process where I wanted to be open to every single person I met. And I wanted to just, you know, I was, I was telling myself that I have no reason to put assumptions on a person until they prove that to me. So don't be too foolish, but also be, have no reservations, have no ideas of that person and let them in. And I think with you, I was just like, okay, she's taking me in, she's analyzing me, but then I kept running into you and it slowly flourished into friendship because I didn't. You know, I could have looked at you and been like, oh, this, no, this, yes. You know, I could have taken elements of you and made an idea. But because I didn't, I think we ended up being friends. And Oh, so we were friends because it's on your terms. You decided to be my friend. No, I think it's because there was openness. There was openness. There was no fear of getting to know another person from the region. I think years ago. Durkas who come from Durkaland and here, not like uh, Arab American. I feel like we act like some sort of lost aristocracy. Yes. And all our interactions are heavily coded. I don't know if it's a, a Gezelchaif or a Gemenchaif, but very coded interactions. Yeah. And I don't like that anymore. I so. just can't. That's what I'm saying. Like that you met me at a point where I was like, I'm not doing any of the coding stuff. Why do you think it's heavily coded? Well, for the reasons you've uh, mentioned, but there was a time where I didn't care about the codes. Um, for instance talking about stereotypes and being a Durka in D.C. When I was in college during Ramadan, I used to frequent my friend who's from the Emirates and he wanted us to break fast at the Islamic Center. I mean, it's a case spiritual center. It's yeah. all. And um, what I didn't know, well, never mind. So I go to break my fast and there are two lines. There's no separation between men and women. There are no... Yeah, it's uh, America. It's beautiful. Exactly. So there's no separation, which I wasn't expecting a separation, but so there are two lines, but obviously it kind of does itself naturally. You have a line for women and then the other line was for men. The line for women was super long. I had no time for that. So I went in the line, the shortest line, and then I went to break my fast with my friend. I didn't know anybody else. We were on a table alone. So we're having, we're breaking our fast and then this girl comes to me and she wants to talk to me aparte sister mm-hmm. can I talk to you I'm like first of all I, we're not sisters but you have the same interactions in church here for example no, we're not sisters um, so she takes me because I know that little sister tone like this is not good this is not hey this is like let me let me break it down to you let me tell you who you are and how you should behave she takes me apart and she's like why you cannot come here dressed like this I can see your I can see your hips. I can see like everything about you. What do you think you're doing? Sitting with a man. You're the reason why we're going to put the curtain back. So apparently they used to have a separation and they got rid of it. And suddenly I was, you know, 
causing them to question that with all this flesh and freedom and everything was shaking. Turns out she was born and raised here. She was a new convert. Mm -hmm. No problem in that. But in my mind, I was like, you merely adopted the dark. I was born in it. Like, don't. So she had such a stereotypical vision of what like a Muslim should look like when they break their fast. Sure. But what I didn't know is also like the, the spiritual centers, the MSA, the Muslim Student Association, mm -hmm. is financed by the Muslim Brotherhood. Well, okay, so we, in my school, we had an MSA too, and I enjoyed every once in a while going to break the fast. And so my experience, it's very funny because we go through similar things, like, you know, we're breaking fast, it's an MSA association, but my experiences tend to be very different than yours. Uh, the school that I was in had a lot of Pakistanis and uh, Indians and pretty much Persians that were mostly the ones that were attending the MSA. And so I remember when I went there, it was mixed. There were no lines. Nobody cared what you wore. It was very friendly and welcoming. But what you described to me isn't shocking because I think any religious center that you would go to, there is always someone who's going to try to preach. And I feel that way about churches here where, you know, sometimes, you know, I studied religion for my undergraduate. When I go to church, there's always someone who would notice that it's your first time at that church and they would make a good effort to go and say hi to you. They even give you cookies and coffee, and it's really nice. And like then they want to talk to you about religion and what they believe. Like it's a, I think it's just any religion that has a capacity to preach and convert is going to take that opportunity to do it. Yeah, but when you're a part of like the minority, these people are very visible, and I, we don't have that space to spread out. Don't come into mind telling me how, how to be a Muslim when you. You well, you just, also went to an MSA you just, dinner. You just converted. Like an MSA and, organized and, you, and, you, and her Islam was very performative. It was all about the appearances. Like, if that's your level, like, stick to that. I have nothing to say about that, but don't, don't come tell me. And I think that's a big stereotype within um, some segments. I agree. I agree that there are people in general who focus on perform performative, the performative ritual nature of things. And I think that it distracts away from the meaning of a lot of things. And that's where spirituality came about. You know, there are people who are always like, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. And there are people who actually adhere to things by the book. And that's where you have groups of all religions tending to do that. But I mean, I was OK. I understand that she came on to you and was preaching. What I understand is why did you not see it coming? And two. Why couldn't you just be like, thank you for your advice? But no. Why not, why not no. be thank you for your advice, but I will do I'm, what I want to no. do? Well, I, di I didn't know. It's, why would I say thank you for something? Because so she's coming from a good place. She's maybe. not coming from a good place. She's coming from uh, But isn't that an judgment. assumption? Isn't she's that a stereotype She's too? asserting herself. She's asserting the stereotype. Like I, the least I can do is, is push back. Like if, if you want the lesson, you're going to get one, but you're not going to come at me with one so what happened in that situation what, what happened is i got so mad and then this other student from kuwait came and he sistered me again i was like we're not sisters and brothers but whatever i wanted to overthrow them because all it is is a popular contest that's how they vote the people who are in charge of these services mm -hmm. and there's basically seven of them so all i had to do is like call all my friends they vote for me i become the leader of and i change everything Obviously, procrastinating me, like, blah, 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 didn't do it. But the point is, you have this, like, little, little minority, and they're 
pulling the strings. And when you come to American university and you, have, you want an idea of what it is to be Muslim, you've got to walk into a lot of stereotypes by people who haven't fully integrated whatever the notions that they need to integrate because so they're there, all there about two the sartorial aspects. There are two identities that we're talking about. There's one, the Muslim identity, which actually can be of any color, any yes. race. I mean, in, in my school, I told you what the majority was, but there was a lot of Americans, too, who are Muslims who would attend who are white, you know, Muslims. But I think we need to separate that and divorce that a little from the Durka identity, which is also kind of intermixed with that. But a Durka can also be Christian, could also be Jewish, because they're, we're talking about a geographical yeah. region. And so if we take it out of the context of religion we still have stereotypes for each other outside of that. I mean, I, I told you that, you know, from the place where I come, like, you know, in, in Yemen, when I was in Yemen, we had stereotypes of every country. L little did we know, like, we are the poorest and we are looked at as, like, the Mexico to um, America, right? Like, Saudi Arabia looks at us, like, we, we go there, we do labor, we run through the borders and find jobs there to send money and remittances back to our family. But then we had an image of every other country. And I think for North Africa, it was always a place that is somewhat exotic of some sort because it's, pro it's close to Europe. And we know that that's where traditions kind of uh, were exchanged. And so in a sense, you have the beaches at the top of North Africa. But then there's always the stereotype that North Africans lost the Arabic language because of colonization. And you have the same stereotype of like Lebanon and um, some parts of Egypt. But interestingly enough, that same stereotype that makes them look less Arab is also... They're not Arabs. Well, the thing is the idea that, you know, they lost their language kind they of thing. They haven't lost the language. And that's also like a sting between Gulf countries and North Africa. But think I of it in reverse. Like it's also like if you speak French and English, you are better educated and you are of a higher class. Yes, and that's the thing. Every time I talk to, I've talked uh, with someone, you know, from Kuwait, from the Emirates, they look at us like we're some lost tribe who like the French got to us. And it's like your high society speaks French, you aspire to speak French, and you were a British protectorate. You were colonized by the British. It wasn't called colonization, but you sold the land. They had their administrations on you. They told you who was doing what. They moved like kingdoms around at their, you know. Mm -hmm. So at, one of the things that really will. bothers so me. I think that's, yeah, that's a thing, definitely. Well, talking about Durka on Durka crimes, that's the thing that really bothers me is that every person who comes from a place thinks that their place is better than the others. You know, they think that their country, their identity, their whatever it is, is better and stronger and, and more authentic. And it's not about better. It's really about the Arab-centric narrative of what a Durka is. First of all, Arab came to North Africa with Islam, meaning before that people didn't speak Arabic. Yeah. They didn't lose Arabic. They still have Arabic and they have the French and they have their native language, sure. which is Tamazigh. So it's not, it's not about... Yes, the it's, end goal is to say to assert your superiority yeah but really it's a lack of interest it's a lack of knowledge so it's funny that we share slur but how much do we really know about each other but that's the beyond thing, the stereotypes like, that we hold so let me tell you how i feel about this in dc right so you have people who came to america just to study who hold on to these identities that they came with with these stereotypes that they came with and so when they approach other people they continue to think that they're you know where they come from is stronger because they know exactly who they are 
And then they project it onto Americans in the sense that America is a young country. They don't even know where they came from. They're all immigrants. Like they project the idea that because they know their lineage better, that they are superior in some way or another. And that thinking, because it's so ingrained in the Durka mentality, I can understand why a lot of people carry it around. But if you actually come and live in America for a while, that is insignificant because your identity has nothing to do with your great grandfather like yes it does a little bit but your identity is you you know it's your own experience it's who you are it's not what you know it's not that you know 200 years ago your grandfather is from the same city that you're from you know it's it's a lot more complicated than that and the thing that I resent in DC Um, And I I would say I resent it today because I think it holds back a lot of the Durka communities from doing what they really can't achieve more is they tend to live together. And I, I find that, you know, I mean, I think a lot of immigrant populations do that in general, not just Durkas, you know, one, one person from a specific part of the country would come and settle in in some part of America and then you know, his cousins, his friends, his extended family would come and join and they would all live within the same block of each other, within the same little city. And then they start only spending time with each other and hanging out with each other and eating the same food they would eat back home. And then they would have kids and they would raise them the same exact way to the point that their English even suffers. And, you know, you have that outside of the Durka communities, right? You have it in Asian communities that moved here. You have it you know, this is this is very normal, but I think that that kind of behavior, the refusal to assimilate, the refusal to allow your identity to become more than just one is really holding these communities back. It's it's holding them back mentally. It's holding them back from being what they can be as a as a cocktail of many beautiful I think things. They're doing pretty well. They're pretty assimilated, even integrated. How so? I mean, all the Arabs, American that I know, even when I ask them about the stigma, like it's very marginalized. Most of them pass under the radar. They have pretty normal existence. No, I think there are two types. They're integrated. No, there are two types of Durkas. They're the ones who choose to go to school and you can identify them right away by seeing that their friends are not their cousins, their sisters, their, you know. And then you have the other kind of Durka that is, I think, living a sheltered life. You know, they are with their cousins constantly. They are with their nieces and nephews. And then they go home to stay with their families. And they maintain a life as if they are in the Middle East. I don't know about that, honestly. Have you seen the communities in Virginia and Maryland? That's the thing. You're, you're now expressing and knowing, you know, you know the Durka community in D.C. You haven't seen the ones that live in the suburbs. And they stick together. And it's, again, it's not just but Dur- that's Middle not Durka. Easterners. Exactly. That's all other minority immigrant minority that's not like yes that's not specific to but being i still a think regardless of being Durka or not it holds you back i don't i don't know about that like if it holds you back or not totally I'd, holds you back to each their journey i don't know like these let things me, let change me tell from you generation about, to generation let me tell you about dearborn but, michigan but not just while well, we're in dc so i mean the reason why i wanted to talk about stereotypes and how i don't think we know each other but we do know each other through stereotypes and the these cliches don't just come from the outside. I was having this conversation with um, with a Lebanese American. Mm-hmm. It was the first time that we ever talked. And she asked me where I was from. I said I was from Algeria. And so that's when she said that she was from uh, Lebanon, that she had some uh, Lebanese origins. 
But then she corrected herself and said, well, but I'm not Lebanese the way you are Algerian. Okay. So I felt like I was faced with an equation that had some fixed numbers that I wasn't aware of when there should have been variables. Like what does it mean to be Algerian? What does it mean to be Lebanese? How can you be more Algerian compared to her level of being Lebanese? What was that? Well, can I tell you what it looks like to me very quickly? I think you're reading too much into it. I think when she says she's not Lebanese like you're Algerian, you come from Algeria. She doesn't know that. Okay, well, if she, she knows that, know that's age. how I would assume it. You but come from exactly Algeria. Assumption. She's not from Lebanon, but she is of Lebanese descent. And so in that regard, yeah, that she's not totally as, makes She's sense. not as Durka. She's not as Arab. She's not as whatever she puts in that identity. That's a stereotype. But, but from the sound of it, there was no negative connotation to it. The negative connotation the negative was how connota- you took it. The negative connotation is to pigeonhole someone right off the bat. It's like taking a label and assuming things about that label and saying that you're not that much of that compared to the other person when it's your first conversation. You don't know who I am. Do you pigeonhole people? Let's talk more. I would never say I'm not Algerian the way you're Lebanese. What, what does that even mean? I mean, I don't know what it means, but I'm asking <laughs> a few pigeonhole people. No. You I don't. mean, I'm sure I have. No, no, no. Never. Not like that. Not like that. I don't know. Not in a conversation where you have room to, to debate when you have room to know the other person and take your time, why would, I, why would I just stunt the conversation by assuming A means that, B means that, you're less of that, I'm more of that? That's crazy. I don't know. I think you're reading too much into it. Again, I mean, she just said, I'm not Lebanese the way that you are yeah. Algerian. So define, define your, your non-variables. Define well, did you Lebanese ask her to do that? And define, uh, define what it means. Well, she was also busy. So, yeah, I mean... The next thing she asked me was whether I was from a small city or a big city. So by that point, maybe I pigeonholed her a little bit. I was like, okay, this person is not really interested in so where I'm from. So it was reciprocal pigeonhole. It wasn't reciprocal. I was not reciprocal to her approach. but Because you took offense to it. Not offense, but I realized, wow, like this Durka thing. Like, what does that even mean? Like, this is an Arab American. She doesn't know where I'm from. And she's already trying to limit what my identity is when she doesn't she takes the label like let the people talk let the people unfold let them spread their plumage do not put them in a cage already and i think we tend to this not just her i mean i think we all are guilty of stereotyping like for instance i you always tell me like why are you always bashing the golf like to me growing up they were like a bunch of ultra conservative anomaly like regional anomalies who are addicted to u.s fast food yeah and i mean here's the thing like I'm the worst person like coming from me to tell you to not be so judgmental of the Gulf means a lot because I, you know, my country at the moment is not in the best place, but I'm unlearning, (laughs) but I still think that we need to give these people the benefit of the doubt. I met the most impressive people out of Gulf countries that are nothing like their stereotypes, obviously, but we're talking about cliches. I'm saying I do have that for certain areas of the Durka world. I'm unlearning, but it happens. Well, remember how... But I would never meet someone from that country and say, well, I'm, you're more than, and I'm So less, you'll keep like, your thoughts to yourself. No, I would let the person be that it's a case by case. Like you can have general ideas that you're, you know, conditioned to think because of your own experience. But when you meet a person, you meet a person, that's it. They yeah. represent themselves and nothing else. You don't let the label limit your well, interpretation Well, hold on. Remember them. when one girl thought that you're from Qatar? Yes, I get that a lot. Or Saudi. How do you feel? Or Lebanese. It all depends whether I have highlights, how my hair is done. If it's curly, I get Israel. How does it make you feel since you, you feel that 
you pigeonhole the Gulf. And definitely, it makes me feel like uh, there are not a lot of North Africans here, so people immediately. It uh, doesn't make you upset. No. Okay. As long as it doesn't. No. You know, I mean, I think, I think that some people do get upset when when people think they're from a specific place. Yeah, there's a name for that. It starts with an R. Starts with an R. Yes. R-rated racism. Why would you be upset to be from a place? Well, that's the thing. That's disdain. That's despising someone from for where they're from. That's ridiculous. Okay. 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 That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. How about we take a little break before we come back to our next segment? All right, then. Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. We just took a little break, and this is District Durkas. Durka Durka, Muhammad Jihad. So just to refresh your memory, in case you forgot, a Durka from Yemen, that's me, Sama, and a Durka from Algeria, Lilia. We live in the District of Columbia, and we come together to decipher the Middle, East- Middle Eastern experience in the capital of the United States. This episode specifically deals with identity and stereotypes and specifically some more. It talks about Durka on Durka crime. Our topics usually include feminism, sexism, terrorism, absolutism, atheism, monotheism, socialism, etc. And all the prisms and schisms in between. So when we talk about these things, a lot of these identities and topics intersect. And so we can't just talk about one without the other. And so today we're talking about how we stereotype, you know, how, well, on some level we've talked on previous episodes how others or non-Durka stereotype Durkas or all brown people are kind of the same. And then we're taking it a step further this episode where we talk about how we even have our own discrimination processes, which actually takes me to a point that Lilia mentioned earlier. She was in a cab and told the cab driver about our show and really urged him to to ask her anything, anything that he wants to know. And he actually (laughs) asked you. Well, at first he was like, no, you know, I respect everyone. Um, I mean, what does that mean? So he he was very uh, fidgety about it. He wasn't going to give me anything. He wanted to be like, I'm very well informed. I'm woke. I have no question for you. But then I dug a little bit and, well, he asked me, he was like, well... I need to know something. Why are you all Muslim always fighting each other? Like you're not even fighting the other ones. He was specifically talking about Somalia. Mm-hmm. And then he, he, he brought up ISIS. It was like a cluster F of yeah. all, everything. That seems to me like a very valid question. I know. He was like, why are you violent? Is that in the religion? Is it something else? I've noticed that other African nations, he was from Ethiopia. So he said he had context for understanding coexistence amongst different uh, religions and, mm-hmm. and, and beliefs. But it just seems that uh, in the, there's a lot of Muslim on Muslim crime. And it does it come from 
the dogma. He's just clueless. He wants to believe that it's not, but it seems to be. I mean, I think it's a very valid question. And I think that this is a great opportunity for us to reach out to our listeners and encourage them to ask anything, no matter how stereotypical or close-minded it might sound. I mean, this is the point of the show, after all, is that we really want to have honest conversations about what's going on here. And I think to anyone, I mean, if I wasn't from the region and I did, you know, if I wasn't a person who tries very hard to understand the nuances and the details of what goes on, it very much looks like Muslims are killing each other and that every place you look, they're fighting each other. I mean, we talk about, you know, we've mentioned before, we've mentioned Syria, we've mentioned Iraq. Now you have like Somalia coming into the conversation, which, by the way, is considered part of the Middle East under the UNDP. Um, and so you have it looks like we are killing each other. Pakistan, Afghanistan, yeah, and Sudan, <laughs> Nigeria. <laughs> I just think, I just really think that the drive behind all of this, and this is to all our listeners, is usually political. But what was interesting is that he was trying to, he was trying to portray it like his question comes from the media, but you could tell it was a personal belief that he needed either debunked or confirmed. Yeah, and I mean, and he's allowed to think what he wants to think, right? Like, but the thing is, like, okay, if you're going to think something know it well and then you're allowed to proceed with your own judgment now to me all the areas that are fighting are lawless like somalia for example it's a a lawless state that's witnessed combat for years way before isis even came on the picture and a lot of these states don't have a functioning government they don't exactly so they i mean if you look at that regardless of religion Mm -hmm. you would see a pattern of fighting now unfortunately every place has its own story and so you can generalize and be like wow muslims are just killing each other everywhere but if you actually take the muslim identity out of it and look at it as state by state and then you look at the local dynamics then a a newer different version starts to emerge and it starts to make sense because it's actually about power it's the same old story that we had in the past it's about power it's about authority it's about who's going to get the money and how it's going to be distributed who's the legitimate leader that's it what pro- like and I which think, proxy are you in this? And I think, unfortunately, when you have two superpowers in the Middle East that are trying very hard to outshine each other, you know, you don't have an equilibrium. You have Saudi Arabia and Iran, one representing its politics through Sunni Islam and the other one trying to present its politics through Shia Islam. Which is a false narrative that never existed. I mean, it never existed, a, but a, now a they've manufactured ago. political... You know, they've manufactured a a political situation that looks and is uh, manifesting itself and expressing itself through religion. And it's easy to understand through those terms instead of seeing everything as a case by case and as a... Yeah, just look at it as kind of USA, USSR fighting each each other instead of, you know, communism and democracy fighting each other. Just look at it as Sunni Shia and just remove the religion out of it for a second. Because I think the victims of that, again, the real victims of this battle are Muslims themselves because they get to watch their own religion used uh, very quickly into politics. It's a, it's a puppet. It's a tool. And it happens in every religion. I mean, I just read an article in the Atlantic magazine about how evangelism is, is losing because of Trump, because Trump is using it to his own evil means. And this author felt that evangelism is not about that. It's about something other than that. And so in that regard, this is not new, that religion is political. 
uh, I do see that it looks a certain way, and I wish that the cab driver was here because I want him to push back and ask yeah. more questions. I, pretty much what you said, I said, and I added the whole aspect of the Cold War and the Middle East being a middle ground for, you know, maybe you want to encourage very extremist militia in pushing back communism because communism is godless, so that's something that... Um, that's something that Europeans and American countries have aligned you know, with these yeah. crazies is we want the communists out, you don't want godless people, let's make a pact. But then you leave them there and they probably have their own agendas and well, they proliferate the of in a very turmoiled region that is post-colonial and hasn't figured out. Did he take your answer well? It's, huh? Did he take your answer well? Well, it was, a, it was a lot to process, but I was basically trying to tell him, like, don't think of religion. Think about the power struggle. Think mm-hmm. about, you know, what, what's at stake? Why is it? The religion is you could, you could kill for money. You could kill for anything. Like, anything can justify, like, your malbehavior. So, like, interestingly it, enough, the Durka on Durka theme of this episode, right, has shifted into the story of a cab driver asking you a very real question about why it looks like Durkas are killing Durkas uh, on the basis of religion. Now, what's fascinating is he is from Ethiopia, and we know that Ethiopia and Eritrea used to be one country that yeah, split. I didn't want to flip the scenario on him. There were so well, many no, ways I'm to not, flip I'm not it, trying to flip the scenario. What I'm saying is there is a similar dynamic in that Durkas fight each other on the ground there, but here they are still sympathetic to each other in the U.S. There's still some sort of understanding and sympathy towards each other. And I think the way that Ethiopians or Eritreans may not get along very well back home, they get along just fine in D.C. Like, I've seen Eritreans and Ethiopians kind of have tea together. And they do understand on some level in the back of their minds that they're, they share common experiences and they share a common identity yeah i mean if the french and the germans can do it i mean the french that was a lot the, to stomach i don't know if they really can the last time i was in france they were really upset that merkel in germany is like the head of kicking the, ass yeah that they're they're the stars of the eu so i don't know some of these rivalries are just going to exist it's kind of like brothers and sisters where they're trying to outshine each other and if you're an only child i'm sorry you'll know it through friends so I don't know. So good luck, only child. We have one more segment. Yes. And it's Orientalism Expressed. And on the theme of Durka on Durka crime, I've chosen something on stereotypes. And this show is called The Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. And I'm sorry for our listeners. Those who know it know that it's a little cheesy. Don't be but sorry. It's, it's, it's a little, it's a cheesy show. It, I don't usually like tunes in shows. I don't really like a lot of singing and and. But any she does of that it so well. it's a creative show and i like that the main actress is the writer of the show and i like that she is self-deprecating on some level but then also self-empowering there's a message to it and she in this particular episode invites her jewish mother to west covina california she decides to leave new york and moves to california and her mother comes and her mom is super observant Jewish and only wants the best for her daughter, who is a lawyer. And to impress her mom, she says the following. So, yeah, I had to break up with him. I know he was a Saudi prince, but he wouldn't convert. And that's a deal breaker for me. He was so upset when I told him. You should have seen his face. He couldn't drag race his Porsche for weeks afterward. Why was a prince in West Covina? He wanted to buy it. 
Lovely man. We still text sometimes. He owns texting. <laughs> I, you know, it's very funny because it's so real. Like that is who I guess Americans meet. <laughs> you know, if you're a girl from Harvard and you're somewhere, you must meet a prince. I think they don't realize how many princes exist I in Saudi about Arabia. To say, there are I'm a lot. about sick of people telling me they met a prince. princes and princesses. I'm, come on. I think they think it's like Europe. When it, it, you if know. I had a penny for every time, I could own texting as well. You know, I, See, I I'm know. I'm guilty of this one. I was at a wedding recently and got introduced to somebody, and my white friend was like, "This is like, oh my god, he's a Saudi Arabian prince." I didn't really know the difference. I was like, "Whoa, cool, right? <laughs> You're impressed, I'm right?" I'm like, "Okay, I guess so." Did I he mean, have bodyguards? I have no idea. I so, know, it was like so quick, but <laughs> so, later I learned that that's not a big deal at all. But. Well, there are a lot of princes, right? So it's a big family, and men usually tend to marry more than one wife, and they have so many children, yeah. and then the, those people tend to be princes. But here's the catch, Jack. I actually know people in D.C. who are not even Saudi, who are Arab, who have money, who pretend to be princes, Good on them. I actually know someone who hires bodyguards to follow him around in the city so he looks more of a prince. Use the stereotype to your advantage. It helps him get girls. He is his name. I mean, I know we're his not, name, but I know we're not divulging names, but... I think we know was who it we're a, talking was about. Was it a fake name? Because his name coincides with the family's name. Is that also like a... Yes. That's a gimmick too? Yes. Wow. wow. So they congratulations. Yeah, it worked. But you've met people like that too in DC, right? Uh, well, him in particular, I remember because of the two bouncers. But well, uh, I I actually know his friends who had nothing to do with him that also did the same thing because they thought it was working for him, so it must work for us. Which is really funny. They like pay someone to follow them around, and then they just introduce themselves as a prince, or their friends help them and hook them up by saying, oh, he's a prince, or she's a prince. And, and people are always like, oh my god, I met a Saudi princess last night, and she was out and dancing and whatever. And it's like, yeah, okay, shocking. Wow, yawn. But um, I think it's in, in the context of this show, she is trying so hard to impress her mom, and her mom disapproves of everything she does in her life. And so I guess to impress her mom, she the only acceptable kind of Durka that she could date is a wealthy Durka, whom she then rejected because he didn't accept her religion, which actually in reality, it would be the other way around, <laughs> I think. What's Hence, her religion in the show? She's Jewish, Jewish or Jewish. half Jewish, half Catholic, I guess. Um, and the mother think, is no, Jewish. She's Jewish. The mother, she's trying to impress. She's Jewish, but she's more in the well maybe lineage secular, goes through the mom. Yes, no, but I mean, she, well, the mom is. I've observant. seen three seasons, so I know she's you know celebrates. She's she observes secular. like the Jewish, but she's on the secular side of it. But so the it mom is get not. Men, right? No, she's not. So the interesting thing is, it also ties me into Lindsay Lohan carrying a Quran while she is in Dubai, and the only way that I can take this is that she's falling in love with Durka men. I think she's fell in love and now it's a personal thing. Maybe. I, I mean, love it. Every time paparazzi on her, I think we've mentioned that before on the show and she's like, halas, halas, halas. No, we've had this conversation, you and I, but we haven't had it on the oh, show. Oh, we didn't? Okay. But Gets. that's the thing. Lindsay Lohan is, I'm not a big fan. I am. I'm not at all. And I'm going to drop some names. I DJed her birthday in London. Whoa. It was super fun. I so. think she's, I mean, that might be why you like her, but I think she is a mess. She was super fun. I think people like to portray as a mess. They give her such a hard time. I don't know why. I think she portrays herself as a mess. I think they try, I mean, they try hard. They could, they could focus on something else now, than now her. Now, here's, here's my take on this. They dragged her. My take mug. is, of all the celebrities 
and actors out there it had to be Lindsay lohan who's carrying the current like why couldn't it be more I'm fine with that like a stable image why because she's like all over the place. She was a lesbian. Didn't and you she hear says the Quran she doesn't. Unstable? But you Didn't know you she. The cab? You know that she was a lesbian. Like she was bisexual, right? Yes. And then she came out of it and said that she doesn't think she was bisexual and she would never be a lesbian. She like completely dissed that part of her life. And to me, it's well, like it she ended badly. Uh, the Ronson girl kind of broke up with her brutally. Yeah, but she wasn't the only one who did. Guys have done that too. Why is she not? So maybe she wants to do away with. I that mean, part you of her you life. will defend her because you like her, but I yes, just I think do. that. And she's I love that she's carrying the Quran and that people are so intrigued by it, and she's so chill and cool about. It. She's very. Well, tell col- us tell us about that interview you told me she's about. She's very collected. She was uh, having an interview, an exclusive with a uh, Kuwaiti TV, and the guy was so sleazy. He was trying to press on her like something else than questions and um so it was like oh basically he wanted her to convert but i'm not sure what kind of conversion he had in mind and she pushed back she was like well i'm i'm just dabbling i'm just curious you know yeah. I'm, I'm reading through it's, it's a light it's it's just me expanding my knowledge of abrahamic religion but he really wanted her for the team or for his own yeah so well, but you it told it to me differently. There was like a, there's something. Yeah, it's just in the way he was asking the question. It was very sleazy. It was like almost inviting her to do something else. But he was talking about the Quran, the religion. And basically yeah. he, he was wanted, hitting on her. Yes, he was like. completely hitting on her while acting uh, holier than thou. Uh, basically accusing her of half-assing it. Like once you're in, you're in. Yeah. It was kind of like a, this rapey culture in the interview. Like, <laughs> So actually... It's like, oh, are you in or are you out? Because you can't just read a few pages and say no, you know? You so gotta, Lindsay you gotta Lohan. You do the whole thing. And it's like, chill out, bro. Like, she has a Quran. It's a book like any other. She wants to, you know, she, she's curious. Just let it to that. But it was funny to see that other... It's not specifically Durka culture, but it's like sleazy culture, like, play out yeah. on her attempt to, you know, read the Quran. Like, she wasn't taken seriously. It's not that she wasn't taking... I didn't take him seriously. I, th- I thought she was very reasonable with her I answers. I don't take any he, of them seriously. He kept on <laughs> pushing and pushing. So here's the thing. I think that a lot of people in America, their exposure to Islam is through a partner that they are like kind of in love with or in like with. And I think that sometimes a lot of people that I know, they go like, oh yeah, I dated uh, someone who is of Muslim background and now... I piqued my curiosity and I'm reading into the religion. So Lindsay Lohan isn't the only one to date someone and then to have her interests kind of peak. She's done. She was dating a Russian. I think what I didn't like about that that guy is that he kept on saying like, do you pray five times? He made it such a, a mandate, a restrictive. A it was horrible. It was like, this is not even what it's about. But I guess that's, yeah. that's his, you know. Yeah. That only involves his conception. But well, yeah. because I think because of those dating experiences, one can end up having either a really good impression of a specific culture and religion or a really bad impression based on how that relationship goes. People who date kind of have those pillar things, like a bit like that girl from the MSA who thought I was not dressed appropriately. They really go by certain stereotypes of what it means. And that's a problem. It it is a problem. I mean, we've talked about it over and over again that you have to look and act a certain way to be something and that's not how things are anymore, not in today's age. Correct. So... Anyways, that was our segment, and it was The Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. It's a really cheesy, weird show that I can't stop watching for some reason. And uh, we talked about Durka on Durka Crimes. 
I hope you enjoyed today's show. We want to bring in more questions and we want to be more blunt and Can we honest. do it again? I want to bash some Durka ass even more next time. You, I don't think you bashed <laughs> any Durka. I know. That's why I, I feel like I was kind of waiting satisfied. for you to. Yeah, I got to warm up to these things, you know. Ah, so it's we need a, to do a, a two-hour ba- episode. It's a that. hard balance between like trying to represent and also like being real and taking off the gloves about certain issues. So we'll get there. I'll get there. I think you so. will. You have my support. <laughs> Thank you guys for tuning in. This is District Durkas. Come meet us next week for our surf on full service radio. Thanks for listening to this program on full service radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full service radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on Mixcloud.com slash Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at FullServiceRDO on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.